The Podcast Show. Giving ideas a voice. Graham. Lee. Great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. And um, thanks for doing this in this amazing studio. Thanks for coming. Yeah, and... Um, you know, very Joe Rogan-esque. <laughs> we're doing three hours. Yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely. Three or four. Let's see what okay. we can do for. Is it, is it, are we going to be drinking whiskey? And... Yeah, it's a bit early for that. I think nine in the morning. But... It is. Yeah, it is. And we've just been talking about breakfast. Yeah, that's right. And Asian food. But yeah. look, really great to be here in Singapore. Amazing city. Yeah. First time I've been here. I've been here before. I think I flew through it. Right, yeah. But never been here um you know on a vacation or from a business perspective but amazing Great. city love it here. been wanted to be coming here for a while what do you think of the airport i thought the airport was cool yeah yeah i thought it the airport works was doesn't cool. it it does yeah that's what an airport is supposed to do it does yeah it's, as, as singapore does in general yeah you know i think it's uh it's super clean efficient safe yeah so i can see why you live here yeah definitely i think if you're an entrepreneur as well you just want things to work yeah you know the basics definitely and that sort of, you know, it's, it's not necessarily exciting, but, you know, you just want kind of the friction of the day-to-day -day taken away because, you know, there's already a lot of stuff that you have to put up with being an entrepreneur, so. Oh, no, for definitely. And we could, we could definitely go on for three yeah. hours on that one. I think I woke up this morning and I was on the, um, obviously with the time zones and, yeah. and, and running a business in different, you know, in North America and the UK and EMEA and also in, 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 in Sydney. It never stops. Yeah. So I, I was on the, I think, till 12 p.m. last night and woke up this morning to several fires um, yeah. that I needed to kind of jump on right. and put out. So you're exactly right. There's enough problems to deal with. Yeah, but you're still smiling. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, uh, look, I, I love that bit of it. Mm. I've been doing it that long now. Um, if you don't enjoy it, then it's going to burn you down. Yeah. So for me, it was something I accepted many, many years ago as actually, that's actually something you probably got to like yeah it's no going back is no there? and you, i think you've got to surround yourself with good people as well as a part of that journey isn't it i mean coming back to the singapore point it's great that now there's a lot of entrepreneurs here in singapore you know i was living in japan before where being an entrepreneur is a bit of an alternative lifestyle yeah uh, but here i mean one of the reasons to move here is because there is a, a really you know fast-growing ecosystem of startups here so there seems to be in this building you know itself and mm. and um seems to be a huge tech mm. or a, a, you know which is you know one of the things i wanted to talk to you about today and we'll get into that but there seems to be a, a tech community growing massively here yeah is that right yeah if you look at the origins of singapore is that you know originally manufacturing then it moved into electronics i mean you had like the mp3 players are made here they were creatives um, Flextronics and so on. And then only recently in the last 10 years, maybe like seven or eight at the most, has it sort of moved from ele electronics and services to startups. The, the it's a very sort of top-down approach to doing things, mm. which works in a small city like this, which is, you know, the, the, the government has mandated that we're going to do startups. We're going to support startups. And they're very supportive of you know, tech startups here. There's a lot of, um, you know, infrastructure in place to help people. So that's really helped in a way, you know, it helps being in a, a city of 6 million people. And that, you know, creates a, a, an environment where you can do these kind of things and it works well. So I think that's really changed. I mean, you know, not much is manufactured here anymore. I think like the Razer, I don't know if you've got kids, like the Razer keyboards and mouses yeah. for the computers, that's about it now. 
but the industry now is all about services and startups. So I think it's a success story. A lot of people look at it and try and model it. Um, but I think it's hard if you're, you know, a company, a country of 60 million people. Mm. I mean, it works here in a small city. And what kind of things, you know, specifically, give, give me some examples of how they, the government have, you know, obviously enabled businesses and startups to do that, you know, obviously you're from the UK and yeah. what's the kind of differences that you would see here than you would see in the UK? I mean, in terms of the infrastructure side, there's a lot of support monetarily for startups. They they pump a lot of money into funds, um, support venture capital funds as well. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, they're very open to, I mean, on the basic level, if you're an entrepreneur, you need to get a visa to live somewhere. So they have a very clear pathway. If you want to come here and set up here as an entrepreneur, it's very clear. This is what you need to do. You know, there's no sort of like behind the scenes. And a lot of that, I mean, if you've looked around different countries yeah. and they, they have their, you know, their pathways to residence and yeah. so on, and they're a bit convoluted, but here in Singapore, it's very straightforward. You know, if you do this, if you invest this much money or you employ this many people, you can get a, a visa. So that that makes a big difference, and then you know the the government support for sectors as well. Like obviously Singapore is um, seen very much as like a, a fintech hub, um, obviously rivaling Hong Kong, um, but it's very supportive of technologies like blockchain, um, where you know some countries have been you know taking an alternative yep. route. So there's all that there. And I think that sort of adds to, you know, that combined with like the reskilling and support for, you know, upskilling of people, you know, you know, the corporate dropouts, you like the 20 years in a, a bank looking for, you know, a life in the startup world. There's a lot of support for that as well. So I think it all adds up, you know, combine that with this sort of growing expat community of startup entrepreneurs here yeah. and money increasingly as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's a, it's a good environment. Yeah, exactly. I think I, I've just come from Dubai and I did a, a podcast there with a um, guy called Tom Otten, you know, uh, expat. I built a business in Dubai after I built a business in the UK. And we were talking about exactly this and that, you know, Dubai's a, there's a lot of stuff that's put out about Dubai, about how difficult it is in the Middle East. And that some of that is true, but the, the most challenging bit is things change so frequently. Mm. So what you're saying there resonates because the stability itself, actually knowing look, these are the steps that you need to take and that's pretty consistent yeah. in itself provides that enablement to make it happen because that's the problem. You know, mm. that's the, uh, in getting a business going, having access to capital, particularly in tech mm. and in fintech because it requires a lot of money in advance to build stuff. Um, you know, in the services industry, kind of less so, you know, and I'm a products guy. So we were just talking here is that, you know, many years ago, I was in the products that are on the walls here or the kind of products that are on the walls. My, this is my first services business. So, you know, we, we've developed some apps and stuff like that, but it's the first services business. And the difference between running a services business and a products business is huge. Mm. You know, I much prefer products, um, but it's easier to get a services business going because it can be funded by your clients and et cetera, mm. et cetera, but in FinTech, so access to capital and access to some sort of structure sounds cool. And, and that look, that's one of the things that I wanted to pick your brains on today mm. because, you know, I think the FinTech industry in particular, but the tech industry general, 
Um, there's a lot of companies, particularly in the UK um, and in EMEA, um, who are our audience. And, and as I was mentioning to you off mic, you know, some of our customers are the biggest co companies in the world, um, certainly in the tech sector. And they're thinking about how they can use podcasts, mm. um, you, know, this, you know, and how we can use this medium to drive business. So, you know, and, and you kind of, you develop that here uh, as a marketplace in mm. Singapore mm. and in Asia, obviously very successfully. Um, and, you know, but the actual fintech sector, uh, what are the kind of characteristics? Is there any, you know, is the is the particular segments of that that you see are particularly strong? Is it the fintech in general, or is it, um, you know, what wh what would you see as the really fast moving part of that? If there is any fast moving parts of that, hmm. here in Singapore, yeah. So obviously, fintech here is dominated by the incumbent players. You have the banks, yeah, the UOBs and the DBSs, and they play a, a very um, progressive role in the fintech sector and even take for example standard chartered they'll have sc ventures which should be an internal venture arm and they'll be actively supporting the ecosystem so there's a lot of that going on and then you you have this other element which is like the blockchain element which are okay. sort of like the pirates that exist outside of that world um, but increasingly being onboarded into the the mainstream world so there's a lot of that going on um I think then you sort of throw in the outsiders. I mean, Grab, who are like the Uber of the region here. and when just, just come in on one now. Yeah, I mean, they're fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the, the alternative is Gojek, which yeah. is from Indonesia, which is, you know, like Southeast Asia's alternative to Grab. So you have these sort of taxi ride-hailing apps, which now have payment systems. So, you know, fintech which used to be just banks is now thousands of potential companies yeah. and these outsiders who, you know, who would have thought a taxi company could be the biggest payment provider in the region. Wow. It's phenomenal. And now that creates a really interesting market because, mm -hmm. you know, whereas FinTech used to be retail banking, now you have companies who know about customer service and who know about collecting data on you and I, yep. like, you know, you took this ride today. I've collected a little bit of data about you and your payments and everything. Yep. So all, all of that's happening. I think when you say fast moving, all of it's quite fast moving in that sense. I think the challenge really is that banks are always going to be banks. You know, everybody's predicting Slow. the yeah. fall of banks, yep. but they're still going to be around in 20, 30 or hundred years maybe. Yeah because they have something and they control something and there's that barrier to entry. I think the challenge, um, Lee, is, is that, and I think where banks are really sort of hurting in fintech is they're losing talent to fintech. Mm. So if you work in a bank and you were creative or you know a UX designer or a developer of some sort, you may be thinking that I can go and work for a fintech company now. So I think what's happening is these banks are losing their best people. They're not losing customers, but they're losing their best people and that's having an impact on them. And that's why they want to be more part of this ecosystem because then they can kind of retain that talent. Yeah. I think it all comes down to talent and retention of talent now in FinTech. That's the challenge. Yeah, no, I think that's a, you know, we, we, we have a lot of clients, banks and, and, and that the speed that they can move is restricted, hmm. you know, because, <clears throat> excuse me, because of, you know, um, the compliance that they have to, you know, live with and, you know, all of these kind of conditions that they have to work under and their, you know, CEOs and leadership are absolutely terrified 
by you know the other particular businesses, the Amazons of this world, and mm. you know what happens if they come into the financial services sector, which you could say they already are, <clears throat> um, and that is but the the speed. So I, I completely resonate, and as we definitely see that also in you know as you in the UK and EMEA mm. in the US is it's just a much more fun place to work working at a fintech, mm. a smaller fintech that is much more agile um, and much more fast moving. And, you know, but uh, Grab's a great example. You know, I, 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 that's the first time I've ever used, I'm a, obviously I'm an Uber user, Uber of a client of ours, mm. um, but it's the first time I've ever, ever um, used that app. But what an app, you yeah. know, really, really good and really intuitive, pulling all sorts of data in, lots of options to do lots more things. I was thought it was really interesting that you could do cash, yeah, as well as card, right? So that's that's you know maybe that's a regional thing, but that can also be an advantage, I guess. You can't do that with Uber, and you no, you can't. No, no, no. Uber is and 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 even the competitors with Uber, which there's a number of others now mm. as well, um, you can't do that. It's all card. So, um, but I thought that was interesting as mm. well. But um, but the talent bit, bit is I completely resonates with that. And, and the understanding of, you know, and how fast you can move. And that's where people really want to work. But it's, it's also, I think it's an interesting bit that the banks are, have realized this and are now creating their own ecosystems. So it's mm. a bit like energy. You know, if, if you're in oil, you know, you've got to move into other areas because mm. that's, you know, a, a clock that's counting down. It's going to take 50 years or 60 years, but it's, it's a clock that's counting down. So you can see the diversification by the energy companies and the banks are doing the same thing. So that completely resonates. And then also providing the capital because they have hmm. the balance sheets to be able to support, you know, a lot of development. Um, but the, you know, how long have you been here now in Singapore? Eight months. Right. So I'm quite new. Wow. Yeah. And Japan before. Yeah. So, so very different though, I guess. Very. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, size wise, obviously. Yeah. Um, but Japan, I mean, I first moved to Japan in the 90s when Japan was Japan, right? Wow. I mean, if you grew up knowing Japan of the 80s and 90s, it was a thing. It was Sony and everything. Yeah. So I went to Japan in the 90s, left, came back. And Japan was always the hub of innovation. You know, it, it was the Walkman and CDs. Yeah. And especially that sort of generation where it really was driving innovation, especially in automotive, consumer electronics. Yet it was very much corporate top-down innovation. Mm. It was also scientists within these companies coming up with ideas. It was a great place. I mean, obviously in the 80s and 90s, it was amazing. And then the bubble burst and Japan just sort of slid into, you know, that decade of like zero growth. Yep. But, you know, now, I mean, Japan's trying to kickstart entrepreneurialism. And it has, for example, sort of programs to help entrepreneurs start their businesses. But culturally, it's quite difficult. Um, there's, a, there's a real, I mean, this is the difference between say UK and Japan or UK and even Asia and Singapore. It's while Singapore, for example, may have all these programs culturally in the UK, people are much more entrepreneurial. Yeah. You know, there's much more hustle. Japan just doesn't have enough of that. Yeah. You know, why work in a startup when you can go and work for Sony or Mitsubishi or take and your be pit? stable. And, yeah. yeah. And it's like, that's what your family wants. Mm. Right. And um, therefore it's less of a risk and there's all those kind of story. I mean, in, for example, if you, if you start a business in the UK and it goes bust, you're limited by liability, which in theory works in cases it doesn't work. But in Japan, if you were to go bust, 
you are, you know, you're saddled with the debt until death, right? That follows you around. So you could imagine it in terms of culture, what that means in terms of risk. Yeah, absolutely. You know, completely. You, you would have heard horror stories, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's always been the perception, isn't it? Is the Americans are more risk averse, uh, sorry, are more, you know, open to risk. Yeah. Um, you know, UK kind of, you know, probably just coming after that, but I, I absolutely love Japan, mm. you know, and fascinated by the culture. Um, every time I've been there, fascinated by the the, the, the whole um, country mm. and, uh, and, and, but the business culture in particular, you know, some of the most fascinating conversations I've had with when I've been in Japan is with the, you know, some corporate people there who've been maybe university in the UK or, or in, um, in, in America, but then I've gone to work back in Japan and can give you kind of both sides of the coin. Yeah. But, I, and I can, that, you know, that, that's a huge, the, yeah, the entrepreneurship kind of hustle mentality, take some risks, fail. Because mm. this is the thing now, right? Everyone's saying, fail. It's good. And it completely is true. You know, you need to fail and embrace failure. What I, my philosophy is don't sink the ship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fail's good. Fail every day. I fail. God, you know, I get things wrong 50 times a day. Right. You know, but I'm willing to, to get it wrong as long as I don't sink the ship. Mm. But for, yeah, for, for the Japanese is a huge, for what I know of that culture, it's yeah. a huge jump. Yeah. Right? You can, you can see it in like the culture of the businesses as well. I mean, you're dressed in like jeans and t-shirts. So yeah. like, you know, that's sort of natural for yeah. our world. Yeah. In, um, I remember going to this startup event in Tokyo and there must've been like 200 people in the room, Japanese. And I was there, the only sort of foreigner. So I was a bit of a novelty as well. Um, everybody was wearing suits and ties. And I was like, hang on a second, what is going on? I mean, this is all about promoting startup culture. Yeah. And I've got nothing against people wearing suits and ties, but it sort of reinforces that, or you know, that sort of hierarchy within the organisation. And everybody's there, sort of presenting business cards. Yeah. You know, and it's all you know. You talk about failure. If we want, you've got to, you've got to start with the mechanics, the DNA of the culture, if you like, and change that if you want people to fail. You know, and it it goes down to, for example, how people dress and all that sort of business card stuff, right? Yeah. Course. It sort of permeates everything because, you know, that then creates this sort of zeitgeist, if you like, of, you know, the boss and the juniors and all that kind of stuff. Because then that's when failure doesn't happen, right? You've yeah. got to have everybody who's, okay, I take ownership of this. But, you know, when it's the boss who you know, tells all the, the runarounds to go and do this or do that, it's his fault at the end of the day, right? So there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, definitely, and and I, that resonates. So when I was in, uh, funny story, I was in, I did a, a speaking event in Tokyo, and uh, it was about, it was actually a financial services company. I won't mention the name, but it was to their leadership on, you know, tech and you know marketing tech, sales tech, and how that can be used to you know better engage customers and you know and understand them more and use data and all the kind of stuff that we do. And I turn up speaking there. There's, a, there's about five hundred people there. And uh, it was all the executives of, of this financial services company, global company. I turn up with this kind of thought-provoking kind of my my way of is to be a bit you know a bit challenging and you know and sort of prod and poke a little bit. And I started to talk about what if Amazon come into your market, what would they do, and all of these kind of things. And the CEO was in the room, right? So, um, but I turn up in jeans, trainers, 
Right. <laughs> and, and I was speaking at this event, and and um, but they they were cool, right? right. So they they they, right. they were cool. They knew they needed to change. Yeah. Right. Right. That was the key, and that for me is you know you're not going to change a a culture like Japan overnight. Mm. You know, it's it's not going to happen, is it? Right. You know, you you're you're far more knowledgeable than me on that. But yeah, you're right. It's the whole um, you know take ownership. Um, like we were talking about before, if you you know it's cooler to come and work at mm. a, a small business, it's harder, mm. and you know, and we do better in our business, um, and we've done very well at employing young people, you know, straight from university and training them up. We've brought some corporate people in, even in the UK, and and struggle. Mm. You know, if you're working for a big company. Um, the culture is very different than working in a small company. Whether you're in the UK, whether you're in, you know, Berlin, whether you're in Dubai, whether you're in Singapore, it's different, and it's adapting to that. Mm. And I think what I often say this to, to to the people in our business, and whether is is working in a small company is hard. There's nowhere to run. Yeah, there's nowhere to hide. Right, that's the words, right? Yeah. yeah, you're there. You're you have to own it. Hmm. So it's then trying to find people who who want to, who want that. Yes, you know who who are resilient, who can learn fast, who have a degree of self awareness. All of these kind of things that you know are more apparent in a small company than they are in a big company. Hmm. So even the cultural differences, you know, forget the countries or regions. Uh, the sectors is a cultural difference in you know big corporate to small business, but there's an attractiveness now to actually it's more cooler, it's more fun, and it is, but it's harder. So we've done better employing younger people because they have no track background, mm. they have no perception of what good or bad looks like, or adapting. And we brought some big people in, as I said, from big companies, and there's almost like a decompression. Yeah, that has to go on. You know, they have to. Be, all of a sudden, everything was done for them, and a kind of you know a one in a million of of people now all of a sudden they you know have to own this particular issue. So that's the kind of you know mm. the dichotomy of small business and big business. How yeah. do you, how do you work that properly? Because I mean that must be a challenge, isn't it? And the same issue that I face in my businesses before is that you bring on people who have the skills. Yeah, you have to, you know, you're taking a bigger risk almost because they have expectations and the young people were more malleable. Yet, you know, they they may not have skills. You might be thinking that might be two years before they get up to this level before they can do these kind of things, right? It's tough, isn't it? I mean, as an employer, effectively, you've got to it work is. out what the happy medium in that is. It is, yeah. I think, um, I think that the, it's looking for not so much the skills as in, to do the job. It's the skills, like I mentioned before, in terms of, you know, are they resilient? Hmm. Do they have a degree of self-awareness? How much do they really want to own the problem? You know, these are the kind of things that we try to identify more now than they've got five or 10 years of experience. Because that kind of five or 10 years of experience doesn't really add any value anymore. Because hmm. things change so fast, you know? Um, we have, you know, the best example of it is we have a bunch of customers that range from huge global organizations to quite small regional companies. You know, we're a B2B player. Um, we, you know, 
specialize in the tech. We specialize, you know, in the, in the theory. Um, we struggle with it. So, you know, if you've got five or 10 years of experience working in a corporate organization, you, it may have some relevance, you know, you may have some knowledge that you've seen before, but it actually doesn't really add that much value. So in our world, the qualities, as I mentioned before, are much more important because mm -hmm. if you will learn a lot faster and we see that, you know, in the five years, our business is now being in existence. We've seen that over and over again. So we're now using psychometrics, which is, I'm a big fan of, um, to try and identify those skills, which are not on a CV, mm. you know, um, it's the more the kind of in your head mm. and in your mind. And, uh, as I said, it's just, a, again, it's just willing to fail. You know, um, there was a CV I was looking at yesterday. Well, you know, it's a good example with, a, you know, really experienced guy based in Germany and um, looks good on paper, looks really good on paper, but I can't wait to see the psychometric test. Yeah. Because I'm more interested to see that. That's going to give me more data than a CV is. And so it looks like this guy could bring in millions of pounds worth of work within a very short period of time. But I've heard that too many times, <laughs> as you have. Yeah, yeah. It's a challenge, though, isn't it? I think especially, I mean, it's very much a challenge here in Asia as well, because you've got, you know, these education systems that really reward and grade people on following the rules effectively. And the CV is, you know, the, the output of that you know, it has your education and, you know, how well you did at this company and how, you know, how well you followed the rules at that company. Yet when you're going into a small company, often the rules fall away. And there's no rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's like you remember at school, there was always a kid at school that did really, really well. And then you left school and then five years later, you sort of check in with them. Oh, how's that guy doing? And oh, he's doing that now. It's not, it's like he was an A student, but, when he went into the wild, so to speak, into the real world, everything sort of was a bit of a challenge. Totally. Because now he didn't have every, he didn't have that track to run on. So CVs in a way aren't really a good, you know, indication of that. And, and the Asian problem on top of that is that that whole sort of education system is built around that. And everybody, you know, they're still culturally like in the UK, before we had the sort of, you know, the renaissance in understanding that CVs aren't the way forward. You know, people are sort of didn't really challenge it. And now we're sort of seeing people coming out of university and still wanting to work for big banks and still wanting to work for very traditional companies. So finding the people who want to work for startups is a challenge, right? Or all the innovators in this this ecosystem. Because, you know, often they're the deviants. You know, and I had there's one lady who came and sat in the, the studio a few months back and she uh, a good example First of all, she's a female entrepreneur, which is, there's less of those here. Um, so therefore, they've had to put a, a lot more to get where they've they got to get to. So they're a bit more resilient, right? Um, and, and also, her first words when she sat in the chair was, you know, before introducing the company and talking about what she did, she said, um, at school, I was a deviant. And you know, like in Asia, yeah. like to play that card straight away, I thought, wow. She's badass, right? Uh, and she's had $25 million in exits from her companies. Like she's had two exits worth 25 million here in Singapore. So she's like, she's the real deal. Yep. So, but at school, she was always like on the outside. Yep. So, you know, 
if you were to look at her CV, I'm sure it wouldn't have been much, right? So this is the real challenge that we have here. You know, in, in UK, I think we're sort of maybe a bit ahead in that sense. Yeah. We're more into the soft skills and identifying those in recruitment. But I think here is still a bit of a challenge. It's funny, isn't it? Because, <clears throat> you know, you look at education, you know, in the UK and look at Asia, right? So, you know, Singapore maths and all oh, of yeah. this. Kind of, I know that from my kids, right? So, but it actually, you know, and I have some personal views on this kind of thing because I, I, I did terrible at school, right? I, you know, I, I, was, I was horrendous. You know, school was never on my agenda. Um, you know, I'm not academic in any way, shape or form. I, I come from a tough area in Liverpool. That it was, it was like living in a jungle. That learned me more about business than than anything because it learned mm. me to understand people. You know, I had to understand people, and 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 business is about understanding people, and in one way or another, and um, those kind of skills, and and how can we grow in in kids those kind of skills? Yeah, mm. academics is important. But how can we also grow those kind of skills in, in in kids? How can we make them more resilient? You know, how can we understand that it is all about them? You know, and, and we see this as you know the, the whole millennial question is a is a good one or conversation. Is I, I, I'm kind of my view on that is you know good people have always wanted stuff now, and that's the argument with millennials is that they want everything mm. now, and I get that, and there's and that's partly true, but from a perspective of you know, in our business, we do see a lot of people come into the company and they're six months in and they want pay rises and they want, you know, I want to be basically master of the universe within six months. I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's great. As long as you're backing it up. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as actually your actions are backing that up, I don't have a, an absolute problem with it. I think that's, a, you know, a, if you're in a successful company, you're going to have people banging at your door mm. to, for pay rises. You know, um, it's a bit like, um, you know, if you're, I'm, you know, soccer, I'm, a, I'm a Liverpool fan, right? So Liverpool are top of the league. Um, another one in here. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, so Liverpool are top of the league. Um, I'm sure if Liverpool win a league, they're going to have many players banging on the door for new contracts. Yeah. So it's, and, and, and we have a discussion internally. So a lot of times of, look, you know, sh you know, should we really show how well we're doing or how bad? We're doing because every company has a bad quarter, bad month, bad year. So it's for me, it's transparency, you know, is is key. And particularly with with bringing in young talent, I think they respond better to it because actually they're just more, you know, they're more used to having lots of information. So uh, where I've seen in the you know people who have come from the corporate background struggle more with transparency. You know, they're used mm. to not having information. All of a sudden, they have it can cause a problem. So these are the things we're playing with constantly, failing a lot mm. um, in our business because we're trying to grow a global business. Um, you know, we've got some big, hairy, audacious goals. So talent in our game, in our business, as it is here in Asia, um, is actually one of the things that's driving our market, the lack of it. So if we can master it as a business, which we, we kind of have in the UK, we've been able to grow it and develop it rather than have to go to market for it because it's expensive and it's not even there. Mm. So our clients need it. So that creates the demand. But being able to then stick a, bring a graduate who's, you know, a business analytics graduate who's come in for six months and then all of a sudden they're working on 
you know, a global project is risky, really risky. But actually, they perform better, in my opinion, on the main, in the main, than the individuals who come in from a corporate background mm. because they will have a degree of hunger, you know, could have that resilience, all of these kind of things that go for it. So, you know, for us here in Singapore, you know, you know, can we grow our business here in Asia? That'll be the same problem, mm. you know? So I'm, I'm learning as we're talking today, yeah. you know, from you. I sat, I sat with a lot of startup founders in the studio here, and I think the number one problem they all face is talent. Yeah. Getting money is secondary. Mm. I mean, raising funds, there's enough funds, but the shortage is talent. Not necessarily people with the skills, but people who know what it means to work in a startup. Yeah. There's a lot of people who want to come and work in a startup because it sounds cool. Yeah. Yet all those kind of street hustle skills, like you learned in Liverpool, you know, if you grow up in a place like, Singapore, where, you know, the public transport is amazing, the crime rate's lowest in the world. Where do you learn to hustle in, in an environment like that? You know, you're never looking over your shoulder. People leave phones lying around or a bag leaving around. It's still there. So, Which is amazing. Yeah. On one hand. Right. Isn't it? You know, it's, you know I, I, I absolutely, it's, it, I have the same thought about my kids. Mm. Right. Because I grew up in Liverpool. Or I grew up in a tough area. Uh, it was a jungle, a good jungle. Lots of great people in that jungle, but it was a jungle and it built resilience. It built your understanding of people. Um, you were able, you had to weigh people up really quick. So in business, that's a good skill mm. to have, you know, is able to, you know, understand the individual, understand, you know, what, what it makes them tick and, and how you can relate to them. My kids, and I actually think I've, I've had a big advantage on my kids. You know, um, I guess they would may, some people may see it the other way, right? Because my kids have grew up in a bubble. And that's one of the things that I kind of, if there's, I don't worry about many things, mm. but I definitely do think about that a lot, you know, and, and try and think about strategies about how can I put that kind of mentality into my kids without them living in the jungle. Yeah. Right. Because I don't want them to live. That's the million dollar question. It's hard. Yeah, I, I heard hard. Gordon Ramsay talking about this because he's got five kids and he's successful yep. and he has money. And he grew up in Glasgow, mm. probably not too dissimilar from the area that you grew up in. Very working class, mm. the jungle, if you like. And he was saying that when he gets on a plane, him and his wife turn left and go first class and he sends his five kids into economy. Yeah. And he says, like, you can sit up here when you've earned it. And I can imagine he gets a lot of hate for that. And his kids probably hate him as well for that. But I don't know, maybe that's the answer. Yeah, I think it's, there's, there's, there's those kind of tactics there's, that you can definitely take. I, I, you know, I, I, you know I, 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 I've flew my kids' business class a few times because uh, I, I want to give them an experience, but I, I've absolutely drilled it into them, though, that do not, you know, think that this is Spectre. the norm. Yeah. yeah, you know, so I've got an 18-year-old daughter. You know, I, 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 I think I've, we brought her up well enough to understand that, look, if she goes and gets a boyfriend or... Uh, you know, a partner that, you know, they, they don't expect them to be at the same standard that you've lived your life. And I, I kind of think she understands that, mm. you know, we'll see whether that's the reality or not, because, you know, but I think it's trying to bring them up as rounded individuals. So I guess if you then bring that back down to, or back to the business side, I think that's the individual, you know, from a, from a, 
can we in the UK, okay, where we've now embraced hustle, hard work, you know, these are all acceptance. The opportunity is huge. Um, you can be, you can master that. You can be one of the beneficiaries of it. Um, it isn't about, you know, what degree you got. It isn't about what you did at school. Yes, that's important. Absolutely important. But there's other different fundamentals. And, you know, can the education sector or the education industry start to bring that in? And I definitely see that. I've seen that in some, you know, uh, some schooling and, you know, my own, my kids' school and some other examples of where they're bringing in, you know, well, you know, health and well-being and, you know, understanding your mind and, and you know, and, and developing entrepreneurial skills and as well as tech skills. And, mm. and I think that we're really, really powerful, really powerful. And I think that's really exciting because, you know, um, in, in, in business these days, that is the, the most difficult thing is in terms of talent. Can you get the people who accept that, mm. you know, and, and because you need them to grow because, um, particularly in our type of business, because as I said, our, we're telling our customers or teaching and delivering services to our customers where we're probably only one to two steps ahead of, mm. <laughs> which is, mm. you know, we're quite open with our clients. You know, this is an industry that is moving so fast. It is changing so quick that we're probably one to two steps ahead of you, period. Mm. And some clients, you know, when we say that, look with a, you know, a, a face of horror because these are, you know, the, 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 the kind of things that we're doing for clients is it's career changing. So if I'm a CMO of a mid-sized company in the UK, my CEO has brought me in probably to drive revenue. They may not say that, but it is. Mm. And if it isn't, it's going to be because um, the whole concept of sales and marketing and all of these kind of things is dressed up with so many different buzzwords now around engagement and this and that. It's all about driving revenue. It's always has been about driving revenue and it always will be about driving revenue. I think now there's becoming more of an acceptance of that's really what it is. So this kind of stuff that we're doing for clients is is career changing. It's career defining. You know, if that CMO comes in and makes it work, their career is supercharged. And oh, I've seen that so many times, you know, in the five years I've been in this industry. And I've also seen the opposite. And it's that big. Mm. So when you then marry that with, and here's your team, mm. and they're all 26, 27, yeah. 28, to make that it's, you know, you, you, you have to be open with clients. And so what, where that talent, and it's the same in any startup, is, is trying to find that talent is the most difficult thing. Mm. I like the bit you, you said about no places to hide. That applies at all levels of the organization, the CMO all the way down to the intern. Completely. You know, this, this is the new, um, you, you said transparency. A lot of people talk about authenticity. Mm. And I think even in media and startups and so on, there, there's that whole sort of talk about vulnerability as well, which is the hard part. If you grew up in a world where, you know, for our generation, that wasn't the done thing to be vulnerable in public, but now young people are doing it. And now we're expecting it with CMOs as well, yep. like to go on record, to talk about it, even just to do their own blog or their own video channel. You know, we're sort of seeing this now. It's, it's expected, isn't it? That you have to be accessible. You have to be human and vulnerable and admit you make mistakes. And for a C-level exec, that's tough. Massive. That's a lot of unlearned or a lot of stuff to be unlearned, right? 
a lot of programming to be deprogrammed. So that's the challenge. Oh, it's, it's a it's a really really tough job, and, and particularly if you're in a corporate business, mm. you know, and and um, you're having to also at the same time of doing all of those things, you're having to constantly reinforce and 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 basically justify your position. Always, mm. that's the number one issue with CMOs. As uh, when I talk to CMOs or you know spend time with CMOs or our clients, whoever they may be. Their constant battle is how do I justify my, what I what I'm doing, you know, and 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 I constantly have to re, re you know re justify it and then re justify it and again and again, and so we we've been developing a you know a, a model for CMOs to help to do that because um, that is actually which achieves the results, but at the same time gives them a mechanism to prove their value because that's the, the the most difficult problem. So they're kind of having it from both sides. So the, they've got, I've got to bring in a team or a company or a, or a, you know an organization to help me do this. But at the same time, I've got to constantly battle, you know, the mm. CFO and the CM and the CEO who's, who doesn't really understand anything or very little of what I'm doing mm. uh, and often doesn't see the value in it. So if you go out into some other sectors, you, you know, if you go out, out of tech, that problem becomes even bigger. So if you go to sort of like professional services, you know, more traditional kind of things, traditional markets, that problem becomes even more difficult. Mm. So that's, yeah, it's a real challenge. But for me, that you know, the, the whole thing about transparency um, is, is a necessity now, but it comes with a huge amount of risk mm. and warning signs as yeah. well. You I mean, know? Look at Elon Musk recently. So yeah, you know, that's a good example, isn't it? That's There's somebody who's being very transparent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you, I mean, that I think people use that as the extreme, don't they? He, here's a, a CEO who is just being himself at the end of the day. But you can see he's putting a lot of people's noses out of joint by doing that, whether it's on the Joe Rogan show or what he says on Twitter and so on. So I think that's the challenge. I mean, I, I personally, you know, when I saw him on Joe Rogan, as an example, I thought, before that, I thought he was a bit misunderstood. I didn't really sort of gel with him personally. But when I saw him on Joe Rogan, just like him being himself and Joe Rogan did a great example of getting that out of him. I thought actually I kind of warmed to this guy, like how he thinks about problems and I get it. And that's the challenge is that if you're a CEO or a CMO or whatever, to go on a show like that and be vulnerable and exposed and maybe face the critics and say something stupid you know, that's all part and parcel of it now, especially, you know, if you're in a pub, you know, you're a C-level exec in a public company, you know, what you say could affect the share price. Massive. <clears throat> Massive. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you with the, the Elon Musk. There's actually, I don't know if you watched the Sam Harris on Rogan, mm. who, who, he set it up and he talks about how it kind of all went wrong and it was never meant to be that way. But yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a, check it out if you haven't seen that bit. But I think in... In business now, you know, I go back, I'm, I'm 45, so I go back, you know, my career goes back 20 years. So I got into management quite early and um, I've, you know, made so many mistakes in management around, you know, the, you know, manipulating people and telling them what they want to hear and all of those kind of things. And so I've learned the hard way. 
And the latter part of my career, certainly the last you know 10 years, has been about becoming more and more and more transparent as we go. And um, and I think you know particularly the time that we're in, where information is so available um, about any company. You know whether it's what it's like working at your company, hmm. what it's um, you know the information about your company, what you do, your client's referenceability, what are the product. You know whether it's you know no matter what, there's available of information. You have to embrace that, and but it comes with huge risk, and the risk is, is that it's not for everybody. People will use it against you. Um, people attach themselves to it, so you know you say this is you know we're going to do this, so we're going to do it in this way, and. And this is when we're going to do it by, and it doesn't happen, and people feel like you've made promises. Hmm. Where actually, many years ago, you know, managers, my kind of managers, when I had managers, would say to me, "No, don't, don't tell anyone anything, all right?" Because they'll just feel that you've made a promise, and they'll hang you by it, right? And but I would rather go with that transparency hmm. and the risk that comes with that than than the other way, because I think being straightforward and honest with people and being open. And I think that's what people want now because everything has become more transparent. So, you know, making, uh, you know, uh, uh, whether it's your clients, whether it's the marketplace, whether it's your investors, um, about actually not dressing stuff up and and saying this is how hard it is and it will be tricky, it'll be difficult, and when you, there'll be good and bad times is a lot more simplistic than the opposite. Mm. And I think it will only become, with social media and everything else, has only become more and more apparent. And doing these kind of things is, you know, as I said before, the, the some of the organizations we work with, and, you know, we're working on marketing tech, so we're not talking about marketing or branding to these organizations, but I know they're thinking about, okay, we need to get on a podcast. We need to start a podcast. Yeah. Um, because we need to talk about these issues. It's a good medium of a way of getting transparent either internally, because I know some companies do things internally like this to get information out, um, or whether it's external to the marketplace. And I think, you know, that will only become more and more, you know, and speed up um, as as we go. Yeah, this is the challenge though, right, Lee? Because it's, it's a lot of people saying they want to do podcasts, but they can take it in two ways, can't they? They can take this as PR, you know, in the sense that it's all polished. Yeah. And you even get it, you know, when you do, uh, I'm sure you've found this as well. You, you do podcasts with guests who have handlers, you know, you can't ask him that you can't ask him that, you know, which raises the question, well, I just go on the website and read the bio, right? That's all I'm going to get. Or I look at the conference presentation or you embrace all of this transparency and create a conversation, you know, rather than having interviews, podcasts really should be conversations. It should be. You know, if you're listening to this podcast with Graham and Lee, it's like, you know, you're listening to two people having a, a chat over a coffee about something they really, they really care about or interested in, right? Rather than an interview per se, where, you know, you sent all the questions and beforehand I can rehearse and polish my answers. People don't want that. No. They want that sort of, you know, I'm, I'm going to learn something from this conversation about either of them, that sort of vulnerability. I heard something which they opened up about. It might not be like an Oprah moment, but it might be something that you wouldn't get elsewhere. And I think that's the key for a corporate. That's tough because you, you're asking them to be vulnerable. Otherwise the podcast won't work, right? You're asking them to create that sort of human connection that doesn't exist elsewhere. 
And that's really what it's about, I think, podcasts. You're creating human connection. And I think that's why there is, is an increasing need for them because we're going the other way. We're going so digital, so game, so algorithmed, if such a word, right? That there's this sort of yearning inside us as human beings to go the other way, which is like the really analog connection, you know? It's like the coffee. It's like that chat, which we don't have those chats anymore. Come the on. fire, the, you know, the campfire conversations. Yep. So for corporates, that's a real challenge because everything's been polished and done for you and clipped and edited. And yet you're asking them to go on this podcast and to be yourself, which is, you know, they've spent 20 years not being themselves, right? So I think this is the interesting challenge. We get a lot of people come to us who want to start podcasts and they their natural tendency is to go down that clipped, edited, you know, that road. But you've got to pull back. Mm. And that's an uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, no, it's <clears throat> you're completely right. Because uh, I, I was speaking to a customer the other day and they had a branding agency do a, a branding exercise. And I was reading the recommendations. He asked me to you know, read the recommendations and, you know, and just give my feedback. And I'm not a brand and expert by any way, shape, the imagination. Um, I'm not an expert in many things. Um, and the, the, w one of the suggestions was podcast. It was basically set up a monthly podcast where they would talk about their key issues and challenges. And it's a relatively large company, mid-sized, you know, 2 billion pounds a year. Um, and it was completely contrived. And I, that's the one thing I said. I said, because look, I've been doing this for 12, over just over 12 months. For me, this is fun. You mm. know, I, I, I didn't do it to, to be some sort of branding exercise. You know, for me, getting in a room with, with you and having a chat now is educational. And so it's, act, it's like me watching a podcast. There's me sitting here with you is actually like being in it, right? So it's, it's and... And I said to her, that was the feedback I give. Look, it's just going to be contrived. Why don't you, as I said to him, why don't you just get with some customers and industry influencers and just talk about stuff, mm. right? And I said, if there's one thing that I've learned over the last 12 months on this stuff is when you try and make it too contrived, as you said, handlers or preconceived questions, it just doesn't work. Mm. It just doesn't come across. And actually you see it when... You know, we've got a relatively small following, but you see it in the engagement of the post as well is because it just doesn't do well. And it's, you know, and I think that's the, that's the, it's like the next marketing channel and it, but it can't be used like a, another marketing channel. Yeah. It has to be authentic. Uh, you have to be open to it because they, you know, and that's what I said, why, what in your podcast and the suggestion, it doesn't say anything about speaking to customers or speaking to industry influencers. It's you getting on with another person within the business and talking about topics, which you want to sell. That's not going to work yeah. in my experience. And I'm, you know, certainly no expert. And how does that, you know, if you tie that to the culture here in Singapore, which isn't Japan, yeah. which you, 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 you've outlined, the transparency piece is that 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 must be more difficult here then. Yeah, yeah. I think, like you, I mean, you mentioned education as an example. It, it's a very successful education system in producing successful. You know, people who are good at taking tests and you know, academic levels very high. Yeah, um, you know, I think the missing part is that, like, I mean, for example, if you go to the US and you go to a school in the US after recess or vacation they come back and they say you know hey johnny what did you do in vacation i said oh this is what i did and you know they'll present 
you know, they'll, they'll do half an hour presentation of some kid, you know, even like very young presenting about what they did in vacation. Those skills start very, very young, like debating societies and all that sort of stuff. So that's why I mean, the U S has a, you know, a lot of strength in that it, it, from a very early very early age it encourages young people to present and talk about themselves communicate yeah yeah yet here it's tough and we're learning slowly so there's a lot of focus i mean some of the courses that we run for corporates are on storytelling but you know the concept of storytelling is once upon a time but any corporate really lives and dies especially a leader by storytelling you know, it's how do you package this? How do you tell that story and communicate it so people understand where they are, where they're heading to, and so on. So it's a skill that we need to learn here in Singapore, and it takes work. I think people are generally quite shy of getting on the mic. So you'll see a lot of the podcasters here are people like me, white guys, you know, from outside. Yeah. Where often that's the case. It's the people from the outside who kickstart chunks, sure. and then, you know, that's, those skills transfer I'd love to see more locals get up and podcast. We've seen a few, but it's going to take time. And maybe a generational thing as well come through. You know, younger people may be more familiar with it, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's a bit like Japan in that sense mm. that, you know, you might need that sort of karaoke mask, if you like, to get people up and performing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's why the Steve Jobses of this world come from the US is because... As communicators, yeah. Yeah, they're just very good at storytelling. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you're completely right. <clears throat> I think that's the, you know, and the UK is definitely changing to that, um, you know, for sure. I think people adapt to this kind of thing better than others. You know, when I did it, as I said, you know, my academic skills are pretty poor. So writing things down is not my skill. So my verbal, you know, um, you know, uh, communication has always been as improved had to because my you know writing skills writing emails was i'd rather pick up a phone and talk to somebody because mm. i had to because it was a skill i had to develop faster than my uh, academic skills when when i got to that side and um so no completely completely agree um but look uh, one of the things i wanted to get you on we're we're trying to develop our business here in in singapore so as i said this podcast has been very educational for me because kind of kills two birds with one stone. I wanted to pick your brains anyway, but it, it, you know, for any of the audience thinking about this and then there's a, you know, a ton of businesses, you know, thousands and thousands of businesses in the UK. Um, and I know another podcast that was talking about the, the, you know, the UKTI and the organizations in the UK, I don't believe do a very good job on promoting, helping businesses, you know, take their products and services abroad in my experience. Um, you know, for me, it's much, much better talking to someone like yourself who's actually here uh, doing it. Um, but what are the kind of tips, you know, mm. so if, if I'm coming to you now and saying, Graham, look, I, I need to launch my business in, uh, in Singapore, um, and you've given some of these already, but I need to launch my business in Singapore. It's in a tech industry where, what are the kind of things that I should be thinking about? You know, we talked about talent. We talked about having a structure. Is there anything else we should be considering? Oh, anyone should be considering about trying to exploit the market. Show up. I think it's the first step. Like you, like get your backpack on or yep. buy your plane ticket. Here. Yeah, I yep. think a lot of people are talking about Asia now, but I think people need to start showing up. You can't do it remotely. You have to show up mm. because if you're hiring key people in your organization, you have to meet them face to face. And um, as much as the internet's a great tool, 
the end of the day, this is where it really happens, Absolutely. right? Offline. So, yeah, I mean, Asia is a great place. I mean, it's it really is the future. I mean, two thirds of the world's middle class will be here by 2030, right? So that Asia now is finding a lot of its own solutions locally. And I think if anybody wants to be part of that, they've got to show up, whether it's like, you know, go to Singapore, go to Hong Kong, go to Shanghai and have your mind blown. Well, Shenzhen, 80% of the world's electronics components are made in Shenzhen, right? Most people don't even know about it, yeah, right? Yeah. Just show up and, and take it in, right? I mean, this is the kind of equivalent of moving out to, I don't know, the West Coast in the early 1910s, 1920s, right? Where, you know, that was the new world. You had to be part of it. You had to build your relationships there. So I think that's the, that's the basic showing up. Mm. I mean, how difficult is it to buy a plane ticket? Yeah, exactly. And, that, and you know, as I mentioned before, when I, I developed a business in Dubai and I learned that lesson really quick. Um, so I thought at that time I could develop it from London effectively mm. you know i could i could you know we could uh we could fly in as when we needed and we could ship the product from germany or from america and i quite realized you know quickly realized that it ain't gonna work that way and everyone was telling me look we'll do business great product love it but you gotta be here mm. so we, we 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 fixed that we adapted quick and we fixed that and then funny enough we were successful so that com completely resonates and is asia a good is, sorry is singapore in my perception of Singapore is it's a good gateway into Asia. Mm. As in, if you're going to set up a business, this is the place to do it. Into, and obviously Asia is huge. As you said, uh, two thirds of the world, middle class will be here. China, uh, where I've also done a lot of business is, yeah, mind blowing. Um, is it a good, yeah, effectively springboard into the wider, wider Asian market? Yeah, I, I guess it depends. I mean, the answer. The sector. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore, and just, let's, I mean, look at setting up a company. Hong Kong and Singapore, probably the most, um, you know, credible jurisdictions in Asia. Um, easy to set up, not much difference, low corporation tax. Easy, you know, you'd set up with an, I know it's not as fast as the UK, but pretty fast compared to the rest of Asia. And for investors as well, if you're raising funds, Hong Kong and Singapore are like the gold standards for Asia. I mean, if you had a, a company set up in you know, Bangkok or Ho Chi Minh, it's a little bit different. And a lot of those people come to Singapore to set up yep. their companies. So in that sense, credibility-wise, Hong Kong, Singapore are the best. Um, obviously, they're, they're all playing catch up now because they're having to compete. In terms of access, Singapore has... Uh, access to a lot of capital. There's a lot of early stage funds here. Um, there's a lot of sort of micro funds who are sort of writing checks around about 50,000 or less for investments, which is small. Um, I think there's like 25 in, in Singapore alone writing at that level, writing sort of angel investor level right. funds. Um, there are a lot of angel investors here. Um, so for tech, it makes a lot of sense, not just tech, but you know, retail and sure. anything. I mean, tech's everything now in it here, really. Yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, it's great in that respect. Um, the The issue then with all of that is cost because those two cities, Hong Kong and Singapore, are expensive. And, you know, if you're comparing it now to the pound, it gets more expensive every day, right? Yep. So, um, but that's the payoff because you have to pay talent. And you, you're competing in both of these cities. You're competing with Grab. You're competing with Facebook. You're competing with you know, all the people who can pay six figure salaries for a developer. Right. Yep. So that's the challenge. But you know, the difference then, I guess that if you were choosing between Hong Kong and Singapore is 
the access to the markets. Singapore has more connectivity, I guess, to Southeast Asia um, and Hong Kong, obviously China. That's the only sort of difference. And then I always say to any entrepreneur, if you were setting up a company to live somewhere, you've also got to think about living there. Yeah. I mean, this is obviously sometimes left to the end, but I think it's the most important decision, right? You've got to think about lifestyle choice. Totally. You know, is, does this make sense for you and your family here at this time in your life, right? So, I mean, I love Singapore, but you know, obviously there are challenges, like finding talent and the cost of living here is hugely expensive. But if you can weigh that up, you know, weigh that against all the other pros, I think there are not many better cities in the world to start a business. Mm, definitely. And, and I think um, nothing's ever easy. Mm. So there's always those things to balance out in any way, the, the cost of the opportunity. Um, but it's the, and, and, you know, yeah, Southeast Asia and China are very different as well in terms of, I would, I would guess. So from a, from a marketplace perspective, um, but you're, you're, so you're doing podcasts for companies over here now. Yeah. Uh, that's, 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 is that your main kind of, um, source of, of, of services that you're providing to companies? It's one of them. Yeah. Podcast, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So the other thing is we, um, we, well, basically what we do is we, we give companies, whether startups or innovative corporations, a voice. So that can either be through podcasts or it could be v through video. So startups come here, they pitch, they pay for that. That gives them access to investors. Whereas with the corporates, their their route is, you know, that's obviously not relevant to them. Sure. That creating a, a podcast internally, that is the best way because that's the biggest challenge right now. Not obviously raising funds, but communicating with their ecosystem. Yeah. So we're a media company and um, we describe ourselves as the MTV of the startup ecosystem. Obviously it was nice. a long way to go. Nice. Um, but for certain age group people, they get MTV. And you know, I think what MTV did was give a generation of artists a voice who didn't have one. You had to get on Radio One and you had to know Tony Blackburn and all that stuff. That just sort of blew it away. You know, it went from very narrow band to wide band, but now you have a voice. Now you can talk and it's very cheap. You know, the, the media format is cheap, like Betamax in the day. Um, so, yeah, that's what we do. I mean, you know, we're new. I mean, as a company, we're seven months old. So we're still learning ourselves. We made a lot of mistakes. Um, tried things that were didn't work. Tried things you think like, you know, W2F. Like, why did we do that? But you're sort of learn. you know, there is no model for this already. Um you know, you're not like sort of going into a market and it's like, okay, we're going to be a, a ride hailing app for businesses rather than, you know, it's not like that. It's like new territory. Yeah, of course. So we're having to learn a lot of things, make a lot of mistakes, but we're finding our way and we're sort of getting traction with the podcast for corporates and also the startups in front of angel investors. Yeah. Great analogy. And, 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 and I completely get it. Yeah. Cause I, I come from that MTV right. uh, kind of uh, disruption of um, uh, generation, but, and, 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 but it, it as I said, that's the key message, isn't it? What you just said there, you know, you, it, it's hard. You know, the if the opportunity is there, it's hard to get at. It's yeah. a bit, you know, I kind of, yeah, because I know you've, you, you know, I should ask you this beginning because I know you've done a number of businesses and been relatively successful like I have. And, but you kind of then see a track record, you, know, you see a kind of path mm. to it that you know, it's like gold in the hills, you know, it's tough to get to. And as you realize it's tough to get to, but if it's there, you know, um, the opportunity is massive, mm. you know, and, and I, I talked to some 
budding entrepreneurs in the UK. Sometimes I speak at some events and I often say, look, if, if, if you think any of this is easy, then go and get a job in a corporate. Yeah. Right? Because it's going to be tough. It's going to be, it's meant to be. Anything that's worth it is hard. Hmm. Right. And, but if you're 21 years of age, just come out of university, you don't really have the kind of miles on a clock to, to, to understand that. So podcasts like this is a way that people I think are learning now because they're able to access other entrepreneurs hmm. and learn from 20 years of experience of just cocking things up mm. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> on, on, a, on a regular basis. And, 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 you know, some things work, some things don't. And that's a, that's an unbelievable opportunity for people who tap into that. And, and I've seen some examples of that in our business, you know, where people have, have come in and been able to tap in to medium like this, to media like this, and, you know, and watch individuals, highly successful individuals, um, or listen to an audio book or read a book and are able to gain all of that information that this wasn't available to you mm. you know, five, 10 years ago. And that's amazing, yeah. you know, and I do it, right? So we, we watch Joe Rogan, mm. we watch Elon Musk, mm. we are able to tap into him and what he finds good and bad and what works and what doesn't. And, and, and I think if you can understand that and tap that and then, you know, able to absorb that information, it's unbelievably powerful. And now I, I've learned some really big things from actually just reading books, hmm. actually just listening to audio, actually just watching podcasts, um, which is, you know, a fantastic opportunity. So I think it's amazing what you're doing here. Um, and I can, I completely get it. Hmm. because, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure you'll make a massive, massive success of it because the setup is fantastic. Thank you. Hope so. I think we all want to get across as well. I mean, what I loved about this conversation is you've been quite honest in sharing your mistakes and, you know, what the reality is in, in being an entrepreneur, that it ain't easy. And we talked about talent as well. And I, I guess what, you know, you talked about those people who have resilience and so on. And I, I guess what we want to get across in these podcasts and having these conversations, these sort of naked conversations, you know, and by the way, if you're listening, we, we are clothed, but you know what I mean by <laughs> the vulnerable conversations yeah. um, that a lot of people think like being an entrepreneur and being in a startup is hard because it, you have to work hard. And I think that's not the case. It's, no. it's something different, which is like, there's a lot of negative emotions that you're constantly challenged with whether it's self-doubt. I mean, it's sort of like the classic hero's journey in any narrative, isn't it? It's it like, is. you know, you're going up and then you go down and then you're, you're betrayal and beaten down and then you're left for dead and then you're even beaten further into the ground. And that's how it is, you know, and that's tough. And that's it every day hustling. And what, one of the things I do in my presentations is um, to, to corporates is that, and this shocks them, it said, and especially here in Singapore, it says, I haven't picked up my last 240 paychecks and they're like, oh, where's this guy? Why is this guy presenting to us? He's like a failure. It's like 20 years I've hustled for every single one. Yep. So when we were talking about, and this is what I want to get across in the startup world and on being an entrepreneur is that that's what it's like every day for the next 20 years. Are you up for that? Because I think people say, yeah, I want to work in a startup and it's like high fives and cool, like beanbags and skateboards. And but the reality is that and get that out because that, then scares people off. But the ones who think, yeah, no, I absolutely want that because that's how I'm going to get the best out of me. Oh, completely. 
and 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 that 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 is the um you know an understanding of appreciation that uh, for that is is really hard to get across and it's also even within the startup there's different levels right so my my world has always been micro businesses so I, i've grouped businesses relatively quickly and exited them relatively quickly um that was my kind of mo and um you know so there was you know being in that type of business mm. to being in a, a startup of you know uh, that has 30 million invested is a completely different you know you know completely compar a big comparison as well and so when we're you know a self-funded startup like we are you know and and where we're i'm investing my effectively my own money that i've earned over the years um you know most people don't have can't have that perception you know they can't have that understanding they don't have that understanding and so when you're right when you're talking to other entrepreneurs about are you willing to do that you know are you willing to put effectively your arse on the line to uh, in to you know with no guarantee because you're always going to pay yourself last mm. if you get paid at all as mm. you said the, mm. the last 240 paychecks um and are you willing to take that consistent pressure, constant pressure? And like I said before, we when we started the podcast, is the way I've dealt with that over the years and the way I advise people to do it is accept that the way it is. So don't see it as a negative because mm. it, I've, I've worked with so many people who that has burned them down. So they've been able to last one year, two years, maybe one exit but if you want to be a multiple you know mo have multiple exits or you want to have a life you know um you want to be able to enjoy yourself you want to be able to have a family you want to be able to see your family you want to be able to do all of these things which i believe you can do and also run a business mm. it takes a huge amount of sacrifice and there's a lot of things that you have to accept and uh, those accepts are it's just going to be constant pressure all the time. The book stops with you. you, but you have to, for me, the only way to deal with it is accept that's what you want it to be, you know? So I want to be the last line of defense, you know? There's an egotistical mm. thing about that, definitely, but I, I, I want that. Um, I also want to have great people. I also want them to take responsibility. I also want them to own things and, but it doesn't mean that I don't accept or I, you know, get frustrated when problems happen, because I think that's what frustrates most entrepreneurs and that's what, where most businesses will fail, particularly in the early stages is because it's just constant pressure. Uh, it's a bit like a, and someone once said this to me, this is not my analogy, but once said this to me, it's a bit like an unboxing match, you know, entrepreneurship's a bit like going into the ring with no trainer you know you're going into the ring, you're just going to get punched in the face yeah <laughs> now Absolutely. if anyone's done any boxing yeah uh, which i have then and you know getting punched in the face is not a good thing yeah and all bets are off all yeah. bets are off yeah. but you're, you're going into that with no training no no preparation and all of a sudden you're now in the ring and people are punching your face constantly your ability to adapt to that and accept that that this is the way it yeah. is is a big determining factor in success in yeah. my opinion i think it's mike tyson who said 
everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Correct. And so there's, that's the best analogy for me in terms of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because, you know, whether, they're, they're, and they just keep coming and yeah. your opponents get bigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and get better. Awesome. And uh, so that's the, that's definitely the tough bit. That's what we live for. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, you, you live for that, you know, and you're yeah. only really competing against yourself. That's the other thing I say mm. is, you know, for me, or the, or my only competition is me, mm. period. You know, and um, we have competitors. Uh, I respect them. Um, I, uh, but really it's, uh, we're already a competition, mm. you know, and, and, uh, where, where you're the master of your own destiny. And I think if, if the other, the, if you can't do that way, then normally probably you're going to have a real tough time and you're probably going to go and work for someone again mm. because it'll just, you know, it'll be too intense. And, and I've seen that in my career many, many times. Um, and it, and, and it can often be that people just burn themselves out because they have to compensate in other areas, whether that be drink or whether that be other things that they have to compensate for, they have to have a release yeah. for the, against the pressure. And then yeah. that only leads to, you know, problems. Yeah, so, absolutely. We signed up for this. Keep reminding ourselves. Right? Definitely, definitely. But th things like this and, and, you know, and as I said, you know, all credit to you. I think it's fantastic what you're doing here. Thank you. Um, talking about these things and providing a platform. Yeah for people to do it, I think is, is fantastic. Cause it is, it isn't easy to do yourself. Mm. So actually, you know, if I was going to go back 12 months, you know, and I had access to yourself, Graham, mm. in the UK, I would do it this way mm. because so my recommendation to anyone listening to this is to, is to use uh, a platform that you've got here to, to do and to have these kind of conversations. Well, next time you're in Singapore, Lee. Definitely. Drop in. I will. Let's do this again. I will. And hopefully when next time I come back, yeah. Then, we, I have actually used some of your, um, you know, recommendations today. And yeah. I can say that we've got some boots on the ground here and we're actually getting some and growing the business, which would be cool. And, but I've, I've learned a tough today. So I really appreciate it. Greg. No, uh, yeah. And no, that's great to speak to you. I mean, this is what it's all about at the end of the day, Absolutely. meet people like you have a definitely. really good chat and then you walk away and think, well, that was really inspiring. Completely. You no, know? definitely for me, definitely for me. And, and I've learned a ton. So, and, and um, so really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Graham. Thank you. That was the podcast show powered by Pitch Media Asia. My name's Graham Brown. Now, the podcast show is all about turning your idea into a podcast. So if you want to join us on that journey into the world of podcasting, head over to our SoundCloud channel, which is available at thepodcast.show slash SoundCloud, thepodcast.show slash SoundCloud, where we'll be sharing regular advice and tips on how to turn your idea into a podcast. Subscribe, like, follow on the SoundCloud channel, and any comments and questions that you may have, then leave them on individual shows. I look forward to hearing from you.